Wow, pretty good group tonight, huh? I bet we've got 15 countries in here. I bet we've got 15 nations in here. Don't you love it? Don't you love to worship Jesus with uh, all your brothers and sisters from all over the world? I love it. It's, it's, a, it's like a foretaste of heaven. Foretaste of heaven. Some of you, I, we have a, a new, I won't embarrass her, but we have a new young woman with us um, this evening. I picked her up at Famagosta. Um, she's from Guatemala, and I think, uh, I think her dad found us on the website, right? So he, he contacted me, and, and then I got in touch with, with Karen. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'll, I'll wait till I know you better, then I will embarrass you as often as possible. But... Um, I guess you've all been out on the website. On the website, we have some stated values, things that are important to the International Church of Milan. On the website, you'll read something like this. We promote the study of sound theology so that we may more deeply know and love God and that we might be more mature in the faith. We promote the study of, of sound theology. Uh, which we could simply say biblical theology. There's a lot of, as you know, a lot of bad theology floating around, a lot of counterfeit Christianity floating around out there. We uh, support and teach biblical theology. Theology is simply a big word for how we understand what the Bible is saying about God, how we see Him, how we know Him, how we think about Him. We promote the study of biblical theology because, you've heard me say it many, many times, bad theology what? Someone tell me. Bad theology what? Someone said it. It hurts people. Non-biblical theology, it messes people up. Beloved, you've got to stay on the Scriptures. It messes people up. Wrong thinking about God leaves leads to wrong believing, which leads to wrong living, which leads to a wasted life. It's imperative that we are students of the Word. That's what we do at the International Church of Milan. We don't do anything else. We don't care what anyone else says. All we care about is what God says. We don't care what men say. We don't care what councils say. We don't care what popes say. All we care is what God says. So we study we study and hold to the Word of God. How important is it that we, that we know God correctly? Jesus said it in John 17, 3. Jesus said that, that eternal life is, some of you will know this text, Jesus' definition of eternal life is that they may, someone tell me, know thee and Christ whom thou hast sent as he prays to his Father. There in John we understand as biblical Christians that it's not about religion as I preached to the Italian church this morning. It's not about religion. It's always about a relationship. And if you're not in a relationship with Christ, you're not a Christian at all. You might be a church member, but you're not a Christian if you don't know Him. If you don't love Him. If, you don't, if you're not giving yourself away to him, I love that great British theologian A.W. Pink said it like this, an unknown God can neither be trusted, obeyed, or worshipped. Beloved, you need to be in the Scriptures knowing your God. You need to know who He is. If you don't know who He is, you can never do Hebrews 11. You'll think Hebrews 11 is something that is for other people. I could never do it. You can do it. You can live radical faith. 
because he is who he is. You've got to know who God is. Or you can't do Hebrews 11. You simply won't try. You simply won't try. I love what C.S. Lewis says about life apart from God. Listen to what he says. The reason why life can never succeed without God is that God made us. He invented us like a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on gasoline, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on Himself. He is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other way. There is no other way to live. Lewis continues, Without God, the machine conks. It's one of those charming English things. Conks. It stalls. It dies. It can't run. It can't run without God. Lewis goes on, most of the human race is trying to run on the wrong juice. Let me ask you, are you running on, the, on God or are you trying to run on the wrong juice? It's not hard to tell. It's really not hard to tell. Bad theology is the wrong juice. That is to say, non-biblical theology is the wrong juice. The human machine was designed to run on God. And we must have God. Not some wannabe God. Not some pretender God. Not some God that some guy dreamed up. But the biblical God. The Creator God. The Redeemer God. The real God. The living God. The God who knows the, the end from the beginning. The God who's going to be standing on the last day. Separating the sheep and the goats. That God. That's the God we have to know. If we're going to live the Christian life, as you know, most men and women seek to fuel their lives on feelings, on relationships, on accomplishments, and on stuff. This actually is the definition of sin, <laughs> if this is what we're doing. It's John Piper's definition of sin. It's exchanging the infinite value, beauty, and worth of God for some fleeting, inferior, sugar-coated substitute. I've shared this with you many times. This is a great insult to God. That you would love anything more than Him. How could you love anything more than Him? How could you want anything more than Him? How could you desire anything more than Him? He's your Creator. He's your Redeemer. Beloved, we need to take a hard look at ourselves. It's a great insult to God to love anything more. We are to love the Lord our God with what? Someone tell me. All our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. None of us do it perfectly, certainly, but this is the call of God. David understood good theology. Psalm 16.11 You will make known to me the path of life. This is what God does to His children. In your presence is fullness of joy. Amen. And in your right hand there are pleasures forever. This is the fruit of good theology. This is the fruit of knowing the biblical God. Again, not some cartoon God that somebody made up in some church somewhere, but the biblical God. The biblical God. We understand as true believers, born-again believers, that God is our supreme satisfaction. And because God is our fuel, we actually have the audacity to believe we can do Hebrews 11. Not because we're so great, but because God is so great, right? It's not because our faith is so great, it's because our God is such a faithful God. 
We're not proud of ourselves. We're proud of Him. We're proud of Him. A.W. Tozer gives some excellent advice here. He says, you know, what is God like? He says it's a question that must be answered if we're going to be any kind of Christian at all. If you're going to be any kind of Christian at all, if you're actually going to live the kind of life that God has called us to live, you've got to know how awesome He is. You know, the thing that Karen and I love to teach, we've taught it to our, uh, the children in this church for many years, the attributes of God. Who is He? What is He like? How do I relate to Him? Man, you, man if we can get that in our kids, that's a huge head start. It's a huge head start for them in life. There are many uh, adults who profess to be Christians. They, you ask them about the attributes of God and the conversation would be extremely short. Beloved, you need to know Him. If you don't know Him, you don't know how awesome He is, you can never go do faith. You can never go do Hebrews 11. Many Christians I run into, they have God in this little bitty box, you know, and they, got, they can manage Him. They got Him in this box and they manage Him, right? They try to manage Him. <laughs> but you can't put Jehovah in there. <laughs> you can't put I Am in that little box. He's too, he's too awesome. So, Tozer's point here is that, that we are meant to pursue Him relentlessly and we are meant to know Him intimately. If those two things are not true about you, you'll shrink back from Hebrews 11. You'll shrink back from it. You won't do faith. You may wear the Christian label, but you'll never do faith if you don't know the Lord intimately. Last month or so, we've been talking about Hebrews 11. For those of you who've missed that, please go back. This sermon will make a lot more sense if you'll go just read Hebrews 11 at your, at your leisure in the coming days. But we've been looking at that. And God defines and illustrates what real faith is. He gives us 16 named individuals who actually obeyed Him radically. We saw that in the text. It's always radical. And the thing I mentioned to you earlier, if we're going to do Hebrews 11, we have to understand God is the main character. God's the main character of Hebrews 11. Those men and women did those awesome things because their God, they knew their God was awesome. In the last few weeks, we've touched on some truths about God that not only, listen, I want you to hear me, it not only makes the life of faith possible, it makes the life of faith desirable. I don't know where you are in your knowledge and relationship with God, but if you have learned God correctly, you will be desiring to do Hebrews 11. It'll be welling up in you. It'll be percolating in your heart and in your soul. Down deep in your, as the Hebrew says, in your bowels. You'll be wanting to, to live uh, your faith in a way that honors the Lord. If we know who He is, we'll not only know it's possible, we'll desire to do it. There'll be, there'll be an appetite in us for it. So, in the last few weeks, we've talked about the fact that, that God is... How, can, how come we can do Hebrews 11? One, He's sovereign. He's a sovereign God. What does it mean? He's supreme in power and authority. Uh, when I first got back uh, late August, we, we, we preached Psalm 99. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble, let the earth shake. He is an awesome, fearsome, consuming fire God. Oh, he's, he's preached like, you know, in many, many places now in the world, he's, 
He's preached like some kindly old grandfather who's inept and frustrated and can't do in the world what he wants to do. Beloved, if you hear anyone ever preaching that, you need to get up and run out the door. Because that's coming from the father of lies. That's the Antichrist. Our God is supreme in power. He's supreme in authority. He says, I'll accomplish all my good pleasure. No one can stay my hand in heaven and earth. This is the God that we worship. We talked about the fact that there's not one rogue molecule in the universe. That's why I can do faith. Because there's not one molecule outside the control of God. It's an awesome thing. The other thing we talked about was that He's omnipotent. He, he's the one who spoke 400 plus billion galaxies into existence. He just does this stuff. He's, he's omnipotent. He's almighty. Again, He does all that He pleases in heaven and earth. The last time we were together, we talked about the fact that He is faithful. God is an irrepressible promise keeper. That's why you can do Hebrews 11. He's a promise keeper. That's why you can do it. Psalm 36, His faithfulness reaches to the skies. Deuteronomy 7, He keeps His promise to a thousandth generation. You can't outlive the faithfulness of God. Psalm 146, He keeps faith forever. So tonight, I want to spend just a few minutes, I want to look at another attribute of God. I've already shared it with you. We want to look at the fact that God is good. It's, all of these attributes are embedded in Hebrews 11.6. What does Hebrews 11.6 say? It's probably the cornerstone verse of chapter 11 of Hebrews. We must not only believe that God is, we must believe that He is a rewarder. A shorthand way to say it is we must believe that He's good. The way I like to say it in shorthand, we must believe He's God, we must believe He's good. If you believe He's God and you believe He's good, you can do Hebrews 11. If you just believe He's God and you're not sure if He's good, you'll never do it. You'll never do it. You'll never stick your neck out. You'll never risk anything for Jesus. God says, my people must not only know that I am, they must know that I am good and they live like I'm good. They live like I'm a rewarder. They live like I'm a promise keeper. God is good. Hebrews 11 Six. I'm just going to share some, some verses with you. The first point I want to make about God's goodness is that He's intrinsically good. Okay, He's intrinsically good. Psalm 119.68 The psalmist says, Thou art good and doest good. Psalm 52.1 The goodness of God endureth continually. Psalm 86.5 For Thou, O Lord, art good, abundant in loving kindness. Loving kindness is simply another word for goodness. Psalm 100... Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good, His loving kindness is everlasting. Psalm 106, 1. Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Mark 10, 18. You'll recognize the words of Jesus here. No one is good except God alone. I love this. God is not only the greatest of all beings, He is the best. <laughs> Don't you love that about our Father? He is the best. He's not only the greatest, He's the best. He's perfectly, infinitely, eternally, unchangeably, beautifully good. One theologian in my research I found, he says, God glitters with goodness. Don't you love that image of Him? He glitters with goodness. He glitters with goodness. You know, um, yeah, material metaphors and analogies always are not good. We're talking about a finite God. But I was thinking about, I don't know if any of you have ever stood at Niagara Falls 
It's a poor analogy. But goodness falls from God like that, like that water from, from, from above the fall. Goodness just streams down from God. It's who He is. And it's what He showers down upon His people. Now many, some of you are out there thinking, some of you sharp ones who are listening to me, you know, I haven't fallen asleep yet. Um, you're thinking. You know, but I hear all the time out in the world that if God were good, then X wouldn't happen, or Y wouldn't happen, or Z wouldn't happen. God must not be good. Because all this stuff is happening. All this junk is happening. If God were good, children wouldn't be abused. If God were good, war wouldn't happen. If God would, were good, the Holocaust would not have happened. If God were good, tsunamis and earthquakes wouldn't happen. Isn't that what you always hear in the world? Isn't that what we always hear out in the world? Do you want me to tell you why children are abused and why there's war and why there's a Holocaust and, and why even there's natural disaster? Do you want to understand it biblically? I got a great sermon on the podcast about this particular subject, just on this subject. If you want to know, come ask me and I'll tell you which sermon to go download. But do you know why? It's not because God is not good. It's because men are not good. That's why these things have happened. Even natural disasters. You say, well, Jim, what's, what does the evil of men have to do with natural disasters? Just go read Romans chapter 8. The creation has been subject to futility because of the fall of man. Just go read it. Just go read it. It's very, very clear. We understand why tsunamis happen. We understand. Biblically. If we read our Bibles and believe them, we understand. God put man in paradise. Everything north, south, east, and west of the tree was theirs. But what did man do? What did our forebears do? They rebelled against God. They destroyed paradise. They forfeited dominion to Satan. That's why the world is messed up. You can't lay it at God's feet, beloved. We have to own this. We have to own this for ourselves. I can remember after 9-11, I heard John MacArthur preach. Uh, many of you are familiar with him. I quote him often. He's a famous preacher in the States. John MacArthur did a sermon that Sunday, and I still remember. He said, This is no shock to anyone who understands their Bible. Men are murderers. It's a powerful message. It's the truth. This is why the world is screwed up. Because of us. You can't lay it. You can't say that God is not good. Beloved, that's blasphemous. <laughs> Don't ever let that thought even cross your mind. That's blasphemous. He is good. He says He's good. His Word says it repeatedly. Romans 3 talks about man. Man's throat is an open grave. His tongue deceives. There's poison on his lips. His mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. His feet is swift to shed blood. Destruction and uh, misery are in the path of these men. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The Bible describes the heart of man, Jeremiah 17, 9, as desperately sick. Jesus described the heart of man like this. He says, it's full of evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, coveting, deceit, wickedness, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and all 
foolishness. If you're ever tempted to think God is not good, you are on dangerous ground. You are on unbiblical ground. You are entertaining blasphemy. We need to be able to respond to these people out in the world. Listen, I, I, if, you want, if you want to hear that sermon on calamity, just come talk to me and I'll tell you how to go download it. I don't have time to develop that thought any further. The Bible says, God says, He is good and He doest good. This is the testimony of all true believers. You may remember a couple of weeks ago we were looking at the faithfulness of God. Well, the most famous verse on the faithfulness of God in all the Bibles in Lamentations. That dirge of Jerusalem. And what did Jeremiah... Jeremiah was, was in all kinds of despair, but he says, I remember... I remember I bring to my mind the faithfulness of God. In the midst of despair, before his circumstance had changed, his mind began to change. And he began to meditate on the faithfulness of God. I love that picture. I just love that picture. So, the Bible tells us that God is good in Himself. Secondly, the Bible tells us that God, what God has made is good. If you read Genesis chapter 1, it's just the chorus. It was good. God made it. It was good. He made it. It was good. He made it. It was good. He made man, and He says, it is very good. He made man uh, different from all the rest of the creatures. He, we, we were made in His image. We, we have the ability to know Him and relate to Him like no other creature that He has ever created. God in His goodness put man in paradise, but we rebelled. We rebelled. And if you look at Genesis chapter 3, if you look at the fall, what was it that Satan, what was Satan's lie about? Do you remember what his lie was about? He, 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 he had Adam and Eve questioning the Word of God. But really, the, the foundation of it was God's holding out on you. God's holding out on you. He's not good to you. If He were good to you, He would give you that, the fruit of that tree. That was the lie. That was the lie. The doubting of God's goodness is why we're in this mess. <laughs> the whole human race fell. It all stemmed from the fact that they doubted the goodness of God. Beloved, don't you ever doubt it. I don't care how hard it is. We, we, we know. Romans 8.28, right? Everybody knows Romans 8.28. If you don't know Romans 8.28, you have to memorize it. Romans 8.28. God causes all things to work to good for those who love Him, those called according to His purpose. Beloved, on your hardest day when you can't cry anymore, it's true, God is good. Hang on to it. Believe it. Joy comes. Joy comes in the morning. God is good in how He made us. Psalm 139, 13-14. David writes, For thou didst form my inward parts, thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We are fearfully... How many of you... How, when was the last time? When was the last time you thanked God for how fearfully and wonderfully you were made? I bet you can't think of the last time you did. Beloved, this is a great insult to God. We are fearfully and even in a fallen state, even subject to disease and handicap and every other thing, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I challenge you to think deeply about this. I know something that's true about you. 
you take it for granted every day. Every day you wake up. Well, first you take for granted that you woke up. <laughs> you take for granted that your lungs, you know, are doing this. You take for granted that you can see. You take for granted that, that you can think. You take for granted that you can love. You take for granted that you can touch, that you can smell, that you can taste. You take it all for granted. Amen? Go ahead and admit it. I know you do. So do I. Beloved, don't take it for granted. Praise God. Count your blessings, I dare you. You can't do it. It's impossible. You can never count all the blessings of God. But it will change your whole mindset. Instead of focusing on the four things that are wrong, which I know you do, I do it too. Focus on the 10,000 blessings of God in your life. 10,000 squared or cubed or... I'm not a mathematician. It's a lot. Focus on that. Count your blessings. I promise your attitude will change. You will be humbled. You'll end up, I promise, you'll end up on your face worshiping God as you recount all of His goodness and faithfulness to you. These blessings of the body, the blessings of the mind, the blessings of emotion, the blessings of the Spirit, knowing God Himself. David is right. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's another thing that David says in Psalm 139, and I want to make sure that you get this as well. My, David says, he says all these things, then he says, my soul knows it. My soul knows it. Take inventory, beloved. Take inventory of all the blessed gifts of God. Just, just within your body. Just within your mind. Just within the Spirit. You don't even have to start. Okay, then you can go out and you can look at your, the fact that you have food in the cupboard or whatever. You have a job. God's giving you the ability to go out and earn income. You know, you, you'll never get to the end of God's blessings to you. Count your blessings. I, I challenge you. Stop looking at what you don't have and the things you can't do and marvel at what you do have and the things that you can do. I don't care what Satan, the world, or your unbelieving thoughts say. God is good. God is always good. God is good and He doest good. If you're a believer, you should run on that. What I mean by that, you, you, that should be the fuel that should be part of the fuel of your Christian life. My God is good! And like Job, when the world falls apart, what did Job do? Someone tell me. He cursed God, right? No. What did he do? He worshipped. Will you worship God on your hardest day? Beloved, this is what real Christians do. <laughs> on your worst day, you still believe the Bible. You still believe the Word of God. My God's good. I don't understand this, but my God is good. Romans 8.28 is true. Yeah, it's, uh, it's awesome stuff. I won't go into it, but not only did, did, did God make the senses, I won't go into it. I could really go off on this. Not only does He make the senses, He, he makes that which satisfies the senses. You know, food didn't have to taste good. Flowers didn't have to look beautiful. They didn't have to smell good. Birds didn't have to chirp. The sun didn't have to feel great. The Mediterranean didn't have to feel good when you jump in. Countless, countless, countless blessings and goodness of God that we ignore principally on a daily 
basis. It's because I, I read one theologian, he said, the, the goodness of God is not always acknowledged simply because it is so present. It is so abundant. It is so prevalent. We just walk right through it. We talk right through it. We live right through it and don't acknowledge it. Beloved, it ought not be this way for Christians. Psalm 145, 16, Thou dost open thy hand and satisfy every living thing. Psalm 33, 5, The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 145, 9, The Lord is good to all, and His mercies are all over His work. So God is good in Himself. He's good in His creation. He's good in His providence. What does providence mean? In the way He administers history. He's good. He's good in His providences. Matthew 5.45, you guys know this verse, I'm sure. For He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good. And He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God allows God-haters to breathe His air and eat His food. Along with the God-lovers. This is a great kindness of God. This is a great kindness of the Lord. Romans 2.4 or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God, this, this providential goodness, is meant to lead men to repentance? And we know that the bulk of the world simply ignores this. They, they just take, 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 take. They don't think, you know, it's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1. This is one reason that men are guilty. They're culpable in their thanklessness, is what the text says. Right, Mike? Mike's memorized like, I don't know, the whole book of Romans or something. So, uh, If you have a question about Romans, check, check, with, uh, check with Mike. God is good in His providence. Lastly, beloved, God is good in His salvation. Amen? Oh, that was not very energetic. Amen. He's good in His salvation. Amen? Amen? It's unbelievable what God has done. It's unbelievable. I, I, I say it all the time. I would never believe it. I would never believe it if God weren't telling me that His Son came and died for me, I would never believe it. But God says it, right? God says it. It's an awesome thing. You know, God said, He told Adam and Eve, He said, if you eat that, that on that day you will surely die. Did they die? They did. They, they died spiritually and they begin to die physically, right? Really, God should have just judged them right there. Boom, that's it. But not only did God not do that, he began, even as early as Genesis chapter 3, to, to, there, there's prophecy in that chapter. He's beginning to say, Jesus is coming. My son will come. My, my son will come. And, and the song that Kelvin picked, or the scripture that we read, it was a scripture that Angela read. While we were yet enemies, beloved, God is good. God is good. Don't let anyone around you ever get away with saying that God is not Good. We need to be able to speak up biblically. We need to be knowledgeable about these things while we were yet enemies. While we were God-haters, Christ died for us. Beloved, this is the Gospel. <laughs> Listen, if you're, if you're having a hard day and you're feeling sorry for yourself, just think about the Gospel. I mean, just think about Jesus. You know, it's like Christians, it's like it becomes music to us. It's like background music. And we don't meditate on it. And we don't rejoice in it. And we don't let it fill our hearts and fill our minds and fill our lives. 
We need to be doing that if we're the people of God. God has been good to you, beloved. If you're a believer tonight, God has been unspeakably good to you. If you're an unbeliever tonight, God has been good to you. You are here and you are sitting under His Word and you have the opportunity to repent of your sins and come to Jesus and be saved tonight. If you want to know what that's about, you come talk to me. God has been good to you. God has been good to me. So my, I have a homework assignment for you. No pressure. Uh, maybe a little pressure. Um, I will be grading, but I do grade on the curve. So this week, I want you to look for God's goodness in your life. Don't let one day go by this week without cataloging at least one thing. One way in which God has been good to you. It's, as I said earlier, it's an impossible assignment. You can never count it up. You could never quantify it. But it'll bless your heart. It'll bless your heart to recount God's goodness in your life. Blessed is the man who takes nothing for granted. This is, this is a true statement. Heard a preacher say it one time. I thought about it deeply for a long time. It's true. Blessed is the man who takes nothing for granted, but gives thanks in all things. It'll change your whole life if you will practice that. So beloved, you can do Hebrews 11 because your God is God. Your God is a Hebrews 11 God. You can believe Him radically. You can obey Him radically. You can turn the world upside down. You can turn your family upside down. You can turn where you go to school upside down. You can turn the office where you work upside down. You be a light out in the world. You can live Hebrews 11 radically because God is who He is. He is the Hebrews 11.6 God. He's a rewarder God. If you really believe it, I challenge you to really go out and live it, beloved. Church, you know, being a Christian is not just about coming to church. You need to come to church. We're, supposed to, we're commanded to gather together as the body of Christ. But beloved, we need to go out there and live it in such a way that people can, can see it and they can taste it, they can feel it, they get the scent of God off of us, right? This is what being a Christian is. So, you can do Hebrews 11 because God is awesome. Let's pray. Beautiful Lord, we thank You that You are an awesome God. You haven't called us to something we have no hope of doing. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Father, You actually mean for us to do Hebrews 11. It's right in the text. Hebrews 12.1 You tell us, go do this. They did it. I want You to do it. This is what we, we've heard You say to us. And Lord, we can do it because You're a sovereign God. You're an almighty God. You're a faithful God. You're a good God. Lord, I pray we would, we would learn this. I pray that we would learn You correctly and then I pray we would live faith correctly. Not in some small, manageable, careful way. But in an uncareful way. 
We wouldn't shrink back from what looks risky and hard. If we know You're calling us to it, we would do it. Because You're a great God. So Lord, I pray we would learn these things. I pray we would live these things. For the glory of Jesus. For the glory of our awesome Savior. It's in His name that I pray. Amen. Amen.